Uh, okay, here we go. As the teen tycoon of rock, I'd like to hear them, and I'm sure you would too. Leave them alone, Miss Elsa. You bad luck to him. My name's Crazy, honey. What's yours? Bernice! What's the boogeyman? Will you marry me? Did I leave you any money? Answer the second question first. Cold Movies Podcast. My name is Anthony King. This show is all about author and critic and historian Danny Perry and his Cult Movies books. What's going to happen is we're going to discuss a movie from book number one and then offer up some pairing recommendations. And uh, uh, my lovely co-host joining me as ever is... Hi, it's me, Kristen Lipska. That was perfect. That was so perfect. You did it. Oh my God, that was so perfect. Um, Kristen, welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Hey, we get it. It's not just us this week either. We get to talk to somebody else, believe it or not. Um, first time guest. And um, I have to apologize up top because I sort of normally we let the guests pick the movies. Um, but this time around, I sort of said, Hey, you want to come on and talk about this movie that we already had picked out? Cause let's face it. We're at the end of the book we we only have and a, no one's going to pick this. <laughs> no one did pick this is the thing. Um, so anyways, that voice you hear is the host of the cult worthy podcast. It's Antonio Palacios. Hello, Antonio. How are you? It is so great to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. I've had you on my show twice, and I'm excited to be on yours now. This is one of my uh, favorite shows. I listen every week, and I tell you what, when you invited me, I immediately researched this movie because it was one that was on my list to cross off, but I've been avoiding it, and you gave me a reason to finally knock it off my list, so thank you. We did it. We did it, Kristen. Aren't you proud of yeah. us, Kristen? Love to help a completist. Yeah, yeah. I love us. I love this for us. <laughs> um, it's, uh, well, Antonio, I, I should tell you, next season, we'll do it proper. You'll get the list, and you'll get to pick whatever movie you want to talk about. So um, yeah. as a reward for having to go through this movie, um, <laughs> and we'll get into that in a second here and share our thoughts. But Antonio, go ahead and uh, tell our listeners a little about uh, what you do over in the podcast realm. Well, thank you, sir. Yes, I am the host of three different podcasts. The first one being the Coltsworthy Cinema Podcast, which you've been a guest on. We talked about Messiah of Evil back during Christmas time. Great episode, great movie. Then I also host the Coltsworthy Classic, which is a podcast about Coltsworthy films made before 1970. You were a host, a guest on that. You talked about our 2022 uh, favorite picks are discoveries. Yeah, our favorite discoveries. 
And then I'm also the host or co-host, I should say, of a comical relationship podcast called The Milf and Me, which I host with a lifelong friend of mine. And yeah, always podcasting, man. <laughs> yeah, you're a, you're a busy when you guys announced uh, the, the Milf and Me. I was like, oh my god, does this does this guy ever have time for anything else? So um, props <laughs> to you. You're you're cranking them out. So and and they're all great shows, great listens. Um, Thank you. The Milf and Me is very funny. Um, I love your co-host. What's her? Diana? Is that her name? Diana. Yeah. yeah she's a hoot. <laughs> yeah. She's great. So anyways, I, I uh, recommend all three of those to our listeners. They're great. Um, all right. Let's get into um, a movie about a MILF. No. Yeah. Not, kind no. of? No. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Potentially. Nope. <laughs> if there, <laughs> nope. If there was a, if there was a sequel. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, well, Antonio, you didn't get to pick the movie, but I'm still going to have you introduce it. What are we talking about this week? We are talking about 1935's Sylvia Scarlet. Kind of towards the end of the Colts uh, movies book, you know, you guys are kind of winding down and, this was, like I said, a missing piece. It was a missing piece for me for Cary Grant. It was a missing piece for me for Catherine Hepburn. And based off of what the synopsis is, where she is a young woman in France whose father is a degenerate gambler, loses everything after the death of her mother, they decide to smuggle some goods into England, but to avoid suspicion, they have her dress up as a boy they meet a fellow smuggler played by Cary Grant. And let's just say from that point on, there are, uh, I, hopefully to some people, humorous series of short cons and long cons before the film takes a totally different turn that leads us to a somewhat funny yet romantic uh, climax. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know what, let's, let's uh, the three of us are going to watch this clip Real quick, everybody else at home can listen in, and then uh, I guess we got to talk about this movie. Where is it? There ain't no tent. Huh? Now, if you must know, I uh. I'll sleep in it then. Where is it? There ain't no tent. Huh? Now, if you must know, I uh. Well, I put the money on the north. You what? Oh, there's plenty of room for both of us here. Come on, get your pajamas. Let's get curled up. But but uh. But 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 what? I'm afraid I snore. Oh, well, I'll kill you there. I'll give you a clump on the head every time I hear you. Yeah, but I kick too. Oh, never mind about that. Hey, you know, it's a big dippy tonight. Hey, you'll make a proper little hot water bottle. No, no, I'm... I'm stuffy. It's dizzy. Yeah, what's the matter with you? I took a bath last Saturday night. Okay. Uh, I, I can only understand about half of what Cary Grant says in this movie. Because uh, it's the you know the 30s. It's he's he's in his fast talking mode, and he's speaking with a Cockney accent. And so <laughs> you know I'm kind of leaning in as I'm watching this, and and at some point I give up and be you know just figure okay I'm gonna I'm gonna get about every third word that he says. Um, I I I think it was this this podcast that I said it on um i can't remember what episode but i think i stated that i hate katherine hepburn i've heard you say that a couple of times i think okay <laughs> um i i still hate katherine hepburn maybe <laughs> even more now after re-watching this 
The first time I watched this uh, was, I don't know, two years ago, maybe. Um, and I, th I thought it was fine. Um, but for some reason this morning when I was watching it, I was just like gritting my teeth the whole time. I don't like the sound of Catherine Hepburn's voice. I don't like the sound like she's she's doing some weird inflections in this movie with her voice. I don't like any of that. Um, I don't like any of these characters. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a real bummer that I, I've come into a few episodes on this show not liking a movie and when the episode ends, I've I've sort of turned around on them. Uh, El Topo was one. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls was another. Up in Smoke this season was one. Um, the conversations usually help me look at the movie in a different light. Uh, it's hopeless on this episode. I'm telling you, because uh, I, I know Antonio, I'm not going to speak for him, but he, I don't think he was a fan of this one. Uh but I want to turn, Antonio, if you don't mind, I want to turn to Kristen first and get your thoughts because I think you, it, it seemed like you liked this movie more than we did. Yeah, I'm surprised at the harsh, the harshness. <laughs> um, I don't think I've, I think maybe the only other Katherine Hepburn movie I've seen is Bringing Up Baby. And I don't have any animosity <laughs> towards her based on these two movies. Um, this this movie definitely has like a uh like it like you're not sure where it's going or what it's doing in a way that I could see someone being annoyed at that but I kind of think it knows that it's has that chaotic energy and so I I support <laughs> I support it um yeah it starts out like a so it's mid 30s so not too long after the silent era and it starts out like one of those like classic super depressing silent movies and then it kind of does so the the Catherine Hepburn's there her her mother has just died her her father has lost all his money or something and you're like oh what is this movie is this like the the sound version of these silence and then she and then suddenly they're like oh actually we just have to leave the country and she's like okay and she cuts off her braids like super unexpectedly and it's in it, I think it's that moment where it's like oh this movie is like it's gonna it's like trying to surprise you a little bit or trying to go in a direction that um is unexpected so i appreciated that about it yeah because <laughs> it turns like genres a few times throughout sure. yeah i i um i agree with that that it does do that <laughs> <laughs> uh all right antonio uh so this was your first time watching this your initial mm -hmm. thoughts on sylvia scarlet I mean, so my biggest mistake is the one thing that I always tell people not to do when they go into a film they haven't seen, and that's to have expectations. Because, yes, I agree with you. I'm not a fan of Katherine Hepburn, but I do like movies that have Katherine Hepburn in them. I love Bringing Up Baby, but not because of Hepburn. I love Philadelphia Story, but not because of Hepburn. I feel in those two films, 
the director and let's say the script have enough of a control of her performance to not let it take the movie with her. This one doesn't do that. This one, she pretty much carries the film the first half until we get all the other characters introduced. So it's a very difficult way to start the movie for me where all the things that I don't like about early Hepburn performances, they put right up front. I mean, the first note I have in my book is melodrama. And she's pulling the melodrama right from the start. The opening shot of her mourning her mother is so just theatrical and melodramatic. I almost thought that, okay, well, I know this is supposed to be a comedy, but is this a satire? Is this like a a proto-Mel Brooks thing where they're really just hamming up the performances? And in a way, it does feel that way, but the story doesn't match. So there is a real conflict of energies right from the start. And it took a while for me to get out of that initial uh, mode and viewpoint of this film. It wasn't until Brian Ahern turns up, who I love from lots of different movies, where, okay, now we have some uh, grounded charm that I can attach myself to. And that's when the movie kind of got better for me. But at that point, the movie's gone a different direction. So that was my initial feeling and vibe as I came into this film. Okay, so speaking to Kristen's point about maybe not knowing where things are going, um, upon a second watch this morning, it felt like a kitchen sink movie which I'm, I'm not opposed to a kitchen sink movie where it's just like, you know, kind of throw everything in. Um, But for me, none of it sort of gelled. It didn't really work. It's like she reveals that she's a, a woman too early. I I feel like, you know, let me go in and redo this movie. I know how to do this, please. Um, Kidding. But it's like, I, I feel like when she reveals that she's, a, it just feels like it's too early. And then I, you know, I looked at how much time was left and I was like, Jesus, God, like, what else are we like? The whole movie, I thought would have been funny if it was just sort of like playing the con. Um, and then, you know, the the second half of the third act, she finally reveals herself. Oh, actually, I'm a woman. Um and I feel like uh, more romantic comedies, modern romantic comedies that sort of play with that trope, do that. They don't reveal right that early on. I, for me, because the reveal is so early on, it just drags the movie out. And then, and then the fact that you know you have Brian Ahern's in here, um, and and then uh, the whoever that woman is. I can't remember what the hell her name is. Maudie is the character name. Um, it's like... Anymore, which, yes. honestly, how would you know? Half the cast is uncredited. Oh, interesting. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Antonio, did you feel, um, since this was your first time watching, did you feel a, a sort of, not necessarily confused, but maybe even overwhelmed with, how much is going on in this story here? Honestly, not really, because I've seen enough 30s and 40s screwball and madcap comedies that will 
just throw characters in at you willy-nilly. I mean, that's how a lot of those old stage plays used to be. And that's why a lot of them didn't translate well into film because, you know, now to me, cinema can be boring when you just shoot it statically and allow actors to come in and out, which, you know, due to the lack of technology back then was kind of what you had to do when you made films like this. But on a stage, it works because it's what you're expecting. Um, also, like you said, the fact that I did watch this with subtitles was much to my benefit because oh, yeah. there's a lot of dialogue that I would have missed. And funny note, because I rented this on Prime, it had a problem with Cary Grant's delivery as well because it was literally stapling words together. Oh. Like three or four words, they would staple together as one word. So I'd read it as one word. And then as I heard him say it, I'm like, oh, you know what? Oddly, that made sense to me because that's sure. the way it came out. So, so yeah. So, no, that part didn't bother me. The part that bothered me is that I really did feel, and I don't know if you two have like a, a theater background, this really felt to me as when you're at a high school production of one-night plays or one-act plays where everyone's just kind of talking on top of each other. It's line delivery without line acceptance. Nobody's listening to each other in this film. Yeah. Hepburn is literally just delivering her lines to the camera. She's not even looking at Edmund Gwynn or Cary Grant half the time. She is doing, like Kristen said, the old silent film delivery, like Singing in the Rain, where she's motioning her head one way and then the other, and then like almost to the camera, not quite breaking the fourth wall, but almost. And it's so distracting where, as I was watching this film, to me, the only person that really came to play was Edmund Gwynn. Like, he was there to act. He was there to act with these people. But the other two leads are literally just doing their own thing. Kristen, thoughts on that? Is it, it, does it feel, um, as a cast, cohesive? Or does it feel like everybody's sort of out there just, you know, performing? Uh yeah, I could see that. I, d I feel like I definitely didn't buy Cary Grant's character. Um, and he <laughs> definitely seemed like he was doing his own thing and wasn't nailing the Cockney accent. So <laughs> The Dick Van Dyke um, Award for Cockney accent. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know, like, I... I I was really into like Catherine Hepburn's physicality in this movie just because she's she is doing a lot <laughs> she's doing a lot so I could see like that being distracting but it's also like I don't know it's not a style that we see a lot <laughs> these days so sure. I was kind of into her like different physicalities and like yeah, she's she's playing a boy a lot of the time and 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 like leaning into that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I liked it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Go ahead, Antonio. I was to say, Kristen, so that kind of to me speaks to the way you said earlier, how it, it kind of does feel like a silent film. You know, re recently I watched uh, King Vidor's Show People, which I think is a great movie. And uh, there's a lot of physicality in that, too which makes me think if this film was actually a silent film instead of a talkie, I might've actually enjoyed it better because the physicality would probably play better to that style of cinema. Yeah, maybe. And it is in that weird, like that decade of like, what, what are we doing again? What <laughs> like, are we doing? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, my introduction to Catherine Hepburn was, was probably 
you know, something like an Al Hirschfeld uh, caricature, right? Um, and then, and then m- m- my grandma's favorite movie, she had two favorite movies, constantly watched uh, The African Queen and A Fish Called Wanda, not starring Catherine Hepburn, but I just remember <laughs> it was like those two movies she constantly watched. Um, and so I grew up watching The African Queen, which took me, uh, a f- like, I think I liked it when I was a kid. I did not like her. I thought Bogart was kind of cool because he's like, he's really gross and like dirty in this movie, like, like actually filthy, grimy in, in the movie um, and sort of like had it up to here with this crotchety old bitty. Um, and so, but it wasn't until, you know, maybe 10 years ago when I watched The African Queen for the first time in however long where I was like, holy shit, what a brilliant movie. And I, I love the movie. I still don't love her in it, but I feel like uh, she's, I, I don't know, she embodies that sort of, you know, crotchety old bitty character. And so anyways, that's the, that's the Catherine Hepburn that I sort of grew up on. Uh, but then like you get into when I, when I, you know, I've said in the past before that, you know, I'm, I'm fairly new, you know, within the past seven, eight years, uh, really diving into movies. And so like, you know, I watch bringing a baby or, or, um, uh, stage door stage door was the one, um, hold on. Let me, let me, let me work this out real quick. The Dorothy Arzner picture we talked about earlier this season, whatever it was, I paired stage door with that's when I first admitted that I hated Catherine Hepburn. Anyway, sorry. Um, um, and then something like something like Christopher Strong, which is just the worst. Um, but I cannot get on board with Hepburn. Like I said, I think she she plays the the character in the African Queen perfectly. But like, I don't see her as a romantic lead at all. Um, I don't think she's particularly funny probably because she's you know she's very she's very flamboyant overacting and and you know just like you said Kristen coming out of the silent era so um uh not that she was like a veteran actor of the silent era but she's you know still and I think working with somebody like uh George Cuker um he's he always seemed like sort of um a forward thinking maybe yes but very old old, old Hollywood type of director. Um, so, you know, I, it's just, it's so hard. There are a couple line deliveries that I love from Hepburn when she first reveals herself to be a woman to, um, Fane, um, the character named Michael Fane. And she, like, she's leaving and, um, he he says something like, oh, you know, be a good little girl or something like that. And and she goes, don't call me little girl. Um, like <laughs> trying to kind of keep the smile up before, you know, she runs away and cries. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really like that line delivery. But other than that, I could not stand it. You know, I forgot you guys. I got to read Danny's thing here. Um, my bad. He says critics in the 30s never mentioned the sexual. Impl- That's the one thing we'll get into. 
Uh, maybe this will lead us into to this interesting conversation. Critics in the 30s never mentioned the sexual implications in Sylvia Scarlet. It is quite remarkable that during a period when such things as transvestism and bisexuality were taboo, no one even mentioned the strange sights found in this picture. It's like he's talking about freaks. Uh, we actually see Catherine Hepburn kissed on the lips by another woman <gasps> when Maudie thinks Sylvia is a boy and starts to seduce him. And we have Michael Fane inviting Sylvester to sleep with him. Fane's intentions may be innocent, but how many men in their 30s are such good friends with teenage boys? Ew. Then, of course, there is Fane's famous line to Sylvester. I don't know what it is that gives me a queer feeling when I look at you. When Sylvia reveals to Fane that she's a female, his love for her is so quick in coming that we have to believe he felt more than simple friendship of Sylvester. Of course, he doesn't have to change his thinking. There is little personality difference between Sylvester and the tomboyish Sylvia. Um, so some deep, icky things in there. Before we get to the ick... Um, it does seem a little, again, forward-thinking, progressive a little bit um, about how Sylvia is playing a boy, right? Um, and it, it doesn't feel exploitative at all. It doesn't mm -hmm. feel offensive at all. Um, to me, did anyone else, you know, kind of read this as sort of a, an offensive take on the situation? No, and I think one of the things that Danny leaves out, because he does say uh, two things that are striking earlier in that essay, is he does say that um, this was much better suited for the stage, but Cooker was making a film and should have treated it like a film instead of treating it like a stage production. So that's kind of where I agree with him. I had that thought before I even read the essay. But one of the things he doesn't really mention is that there's something very Shakespearean about this story and how it plays out. And I think there's been enough Shakespearean plays and let's say other works of other novels or, or stage plays that play on a very similar theme that if you're familiar with those and accustomed to this kind of storytelling, it really just felt like that to me. Any ick, in my opinion, that anyone brings to this movie is something they've brought with them. It's nothing that the movie is actually trying. Oh, right. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, I never, uh, anything in this movie i was never like oh my gosh that's so uncomfortable uh kristen did you how did you feel about the whole sort of uh her playing a boy yeah i think it was it's not done offensively at all and i don't think i think the thing where what's his name the actor fane uh like danny's saying he falls for sylvester sylvia quickly i think that's just how movies are in the yeah, 30s like and for decades like yeah there's hundreds of movies where it's like there's a someone suddenly in love with someone after meeting them for like a few hours or whatever it's just, just like a, it's a shorthand of movies for a long time i, so, all the time. I think it's 120 pages or 90 minutes it's not easy to tell a story in those and that's kind of like the industry standard i mean i'm not now anymore with all these three hour plus movies but yeah it, when people complain about oh well, they didn't really 
delve into the, like the relationship bad stuff it's like well they had 120 pages to sell this yeah. thing you know so that's where we are yeah the, in no way do i want to explore the beginnings of this relationship <laughs> no uh that's like <laughs> this movie already has enough going like the, e- enough things going on in it where it's like what the, like the, there's so many different themes Kristen, i gotta ask you this was this your first time watching this? Yeah. Okay. Was there any point during during this watch for you where you were like um, annoyed, where it's like we're going a new direction? Uh, well, I was. I at first thought it was going to be like a grifter con movie so i was kind of bummed when they dropped that pretty quick because that would have been more fun but then i was like oh now it's gonna be a traveling entertainment troupe movie and then it also was not that really and then when it i guess when it turned into a a boring old romance then i was like oh okay (laughs) i was a little annoyed but because the previous two sub genres would have been more interesting but i it did a it did a quick tour of those genres. Do you remember when when you and I um did Freaks? This is pre-co-host Kristen. When we did Freaks and what was that Bergman pairing that I did Stardust uh, or yeah. Sawdust and Tinsel and Tinsel. Yeah. Sawdust and Tinsel. Yeah. I when when they shift to the I guess second act or whatever, like the second movie they're making within this movie <laughs> of the traveling troop. I kept thinking of sawdust and tinsel, uh, which was unfortunate because that's a great movie. And I was like, mm-hmm. I just, I wish I was watching sawdust and tinsel. No. <laughs> uh, a- Antonio, was there like when it shifted, like, and, and these weren't like, I didn't, uh, I'll ask you this. Do you feel like these shifts in, in plot, were subtle or was it just like eh, okay we're gonna do this now oh no they were not subtle they just decided they were gonna change formats i mean one of them they actually do with a musical number they literally <laughs> were stealing this lady's jewelry and i think hepburn's most annoying moment which i feel she's done this in so many characters of hers is when she like gives up the ghost because she has second thoughts when really being a grifter was kind of her idea from the beginning and right. now she's taking it back and ruining their thing but okay, well, how about we just go and become a troop by the sea and they do a little <laughs> song and dance on the stairwell. No, not subtle at all. <laughs> That's how they literally shift to the second act, which if this was, to me, if this was a play, that would be a curtain drop. Five minutes, scene change, and then you would lift the curtain and be at the sea. Like That's how this movie played to me. So yeah, not subtle at all. <laughs> Did, okay, so uh, one of my main gripes with this movie is that I personally fucking hated everybody in this movie. Not the actors, besides Catherine Hepburn. The characters. I could not stand the characters. Yeah. Um, and, and it it was like when when they go and and they're they're doing the grift and they're trying to con this woman out of her, and then you know, like you said, she gives up the ghost and everything is revealed and she's like, oh, it's okay. I'm like, no, this is bullshit. I realize this is a movie. This is not. And and this sort of um, relates to one of my pairing recommendations later, where it's like, I, I could not get on board 
with any of these people. Kristen, were you um, were you just like, yes, I, I love every single one of these characters. <laughs> I want to spend more hours with these people. No, I, I only hated Cary Grant, okay. but I didn't like love. I don't think I lo- I I wasn't too into the other lady. What's her name? Uh, no, Maudie. yeah. Maudie. I mean, they're yeah. not super. No, they're not likable. Okay. <laughs> they're not likable characters. But... Are they supposed to be likable? No. Because okay, well, because it it feels like, um, they're exper- like Cuker is experimenting with sort of comedic formula slash comedic characters, and it's like we're gonna try to get you on. And and I normally love like a really shitty person as a character. Um, but, Oh God. So, so I, I didn't know if this is exactly how they were written or if Cuker's like, you know what, let's try to get the audience on board with these pieces of shit. What do you think, Antonio? <laughs> I mean, a note in my book is everyone in this movie is a piece of shit. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is, this is just my perception. I think everyone in the movie is supposed to be a piece of shit. I think that Sylvester, a.k.a. Sylvia, is supposed to be, I mean, it's your main character. It's the title character. It's the name on the poster. I think that's supposed to be the person that you go along this journey with and have emotional attachments to. I think if this was played by a different actor, actress, whatever, Mm -hmm. that I think really tuned into what that character was supposed to be, I think that's what the story was trying to tell. I think there is a story there. The problem is, is Hepburn's performance doesn't give a shit. It's Hepburn literally saying, I'm making this movie about this performance, this caricature that mm. I'm, I'm creating for it. And therefore, if your only supposed likable character comes off as a piece of shit, then you have no likable characters. And then going back to the ick factor, to me, the biggest ick in this movie is actually her father, Edmund Gwynn and Maudie's relationship and marriage and how that all goes. To me, that's the biggest ick because this dude literally just lost his wife like a week ago. (laughs) And within like a three-month period, they don't say when they got married, within a three-month period of them trying to rob the house that she's a maid for and starting this little theater troupe, they've gotten married and are already having marital issues that's the biggest ick for me honestly uh okay real quick Kristen, did you do you like the character of sylvia slash sylvester uh i feel neutral like though it is weird like yeah the this the I feel like the decision to suddenly have a singing troupe by the sea or like things like that are very unhinged and out of nowhere. So yeah, I don't know, but I do like, I like the, I don't know. I like to see like an androgynous character show up like a a Tilda Swinton type 1930s version or something. So for sure. Yeah. I mean, they, they already had Victor Victoria by this point, you know, it was that that kind of character existed already in you know this I, decade i guess i i've never looked at katherine hepburn as you know like um i i even like her you know something in like bring up baby um or uh stage door uh christopher strong she's she's playing uh you know quite mannish um 
for lack of a better term. Sorry if anyone's offended by that. Um, so like I've never looked at her as like you know s- s- some sort of fox. To me, even when she's like playing a a feminine character, even when she like you know she she puts the dress on with the with the heels and the you know she's I don't know and she, she looks pretty and everything, but still I'm not like oh woman, it's oh androgyny which Mm -hmm. i agree with you kristen i think is pretty cool and again interesting for 1935 it's it's uh, you know you love to see it um but then like by the end of the movie it just sort of falls back into eh, yeah romance she's gonna run (laughs) off with a guy okay I have a theory on this, though. I have a theory on, like, her performance and her persona that she portrayed early in her career because she does make a major shift in how she performed from, like, I'd say the late 40s on, especially in African Queen and later on with, like, the 60s movies with Spencer Tracy. One of the things that they would talk about her is that she had what they called a a perception of self-abasement. She came from a very prestigious, waspy family, and she tried to get away from that in her Hollywood persona, which is why she would dress in mannish clothes oh. and not be very elegant when she'd go out. She really tried to play counter of what her family was because she didn't like the fact that people had that expectation of her and where she came from. I think a lot of that probably leached into her performances of, I'm trying to self-abase myself as a higher member of society by dressing like a man, by being more masculine in my everyday life, Therefore, when she's doing these early performances, I feel she's bringing some of that energy into her roles. And now that I've seen this movie, this movie is like the closing statement of that thesis, in my opinion. That is fascinating. And, you know, to be upfront, like I haven't seen I've seen maybe half a dozen Hepburn movies because I just don't like her. Uh, But like like you, like you, Antonio, uh, African Queen. I still love the African Queen. Uh, I love I love stage door. Um, uh, I'm not a huge bring up baby fan. Um, so there are, you know, I, I guess I'm sort of split. Um, I'm not going to be running to watch a Catherine Hepburn movie. Um, though, no matter, you know, how many people say, Oh my God, it's, it's so great. You got to go watch on golden pond. Maybe after I watch every other movie that ever existed, I'll go watch on golden pond. Uh, so, but that is really, that's an interesting theory that almost, almost makes me want to go watch some early Hepburn and, and sort of see, you know, maybe that shift. Uh, Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, let's see. Was... I want to talk about spoilers for Sylvia uh, Sydney, not Sylvia Sydney. God, I wish Sylvia Sydney was in this. <laughs> I <movie>. wish she <laughs> was in this. <laughs> Sylvia Scarlet. Edmund Gwen's death. Dude, it seems, again, just part of the kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kristen, yeah. what, did you feel like it was out of place or necessary? Yeah, because all of the. Like, it does feel like they're trying to to make a comedy by making the characters unlikable and <laughs> having goofy things happen. So it is weird to have this 
like <laughs> dramatic death in the middle of it and it yeah feels unexpected yeah what what, what do you think antonio yeah i, I it's all going to come out at the end when we do our pairing recommendations because as i watch this movie i got very heavy vibes of a contemporary filmmaker right now one that we are living in his probably i'd say the greatest era of his career but that'll leave that for the end because i've seen so many goddamn movies when it happened it didn't really surprise me like the movie had to go somewhere because like you said before it's only 90 minutes but it feels so long because that middle act takes so goddamn long to do anything and i knew something had to happen to move it onto the third act and that is the event that happened so whoever ended up getting killed in this movie i knew it was coming so it wasn't a big surprise. And I don't know, law of deductive reasoning said it was probably going to be that guy. Sure. So it didn't really surprise me. Sure. Um, and my final question to you guys is this. Did and, and Danny poses this in his essay. Did she end up with the right guy? Kristen. No. Sorry. Hey, no, you're uh, fine. You're fine. I don't care. You don't you don't like, care. Okay. I wish the movie didn't turn into a romance. <laughs> my answer good but good call, yeah good call. he should danny is like saying she should have been with cary grant and i don't i'm not seeing that at all cary grant's character really is terrible okay, okay. <laughs> all right antonio says no tell me why i think that all these people are such pieces of shit the point of the movie is that nobody deserves anybody the movie is all about fleeting emotions and i think the whole point of that relationship between Evan Gwen and Maudie is exactly what I just said, fleeting relationships. These are all a bunch of losers and loners and narcissists. And that is why they should never belong with anybody. And that's why they are also just attracted to each other in fleeting moments because no one else wants anything to do with these stupid people. <laughs> so the way he writes at the end of the essay, I'm like, I think that's what he's trying to say is that this is a cast of just narcissistic, self-obsessed people that don't belong with anybody. So you don't feel any love. You don't feel any romance. You don't feel any chemistry with these characters because I feel that it is physically and emotionally impossible for them to have those relationships with anybody. So when they are hooking up with each other all throughout this movie, they're really just hooking up with themselves. <laughs> I I do appreciate uh and why although I I appreciate the little, you know, uh storyline here. Why is this the end of the movie where, you know, Cary Grant is left on the train and like Maddie is is off and and the guys like did anybody just get off? Nope. Um <laughs> So, okay, you're alluding to, Antonio, the Danny's last paragraph of the essay. I wanted to read that because it's it's interesting. He says, Sylvia Scarlet is far from being a great film. Cuker wasn't able to decide whether he was filming a comedy or a drama. It is dull at times. There are too many moments when characters display cruelty that is sadistic and hard to watch. I think Danny needs to uh, grow a pair, but yeah, that's just me. Um <laughs> And I think it a letdown that Sylvia goes off with the conceited sexist Fane instead of the cocky, sexy, uh, sexist Jimmy, who is at least more fun. Fane That's comes his in... whole argument, is that he's more fun. <laughs> more fun. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, Fane comes into the picture so late, we already have been convinced that Jimmy and Sylvia are falling in love. 
and it's hard to adjust our thinking. I totally agree with him, especially when we don't like Fane as much as Jimmy. Also agree with him, although I sort of just hate everybody equally. But having Sylvia go off with the wrong man, Grant is even listed ahead of Brian Ahern and the credits, is another of many instances in the film where movie conventions are broken. And this contributes to making Sylvia Scarlet, whatever its faults, one of the most interesting films of the 30s. Gosh, Danny. Uh, I'll give him that. I told you that this film fascinated me because. Okay. I had to be, I had, I was fascinated of why it is the way it is. I was fascinated about why the performances are. And in the two days since I've watched this and we're having this conversation that the points are brought up, it's all because I keep digging more into these characters and other films and other things that I've read. I would not have done that if this film didn't fascinate me. I could have easily just been, this movie sucks. And I could have just said it sucks over and over and over again. Sure. But instead, like I'm, I'm trying to like deconstruct why this film fascinates me. And that whole closing paragraph really is what it is. Brian Ahern's character is my favorite character. And he's my most sympathetic character because the dude didn't want any of this. He was just nice and let them come to his house. (laughs) He wasn't looking for love. He wasn't looking for anything from these people. He's just a rich artist who's self-obsessed in his home. And these people, his Russian girlfriend, Lily, Sylvia, Jimmy, Maudie, all these people just keep going into his goddamn house and bugging him so he can either be like, get out of here, or hey, I like this attention, and I'll take it, which is what he does. Like, he is the most innocent character in this movie, in my opinion, because he's just there. They're all going to him. That is fascinating. Kristen, what do you think? Yeah, he's. I agree, he's the most likable character in the movie. <laughs> He at least has, like, he seems to have a career. (laughs) He's been in for a while. (laughs) He's not just like, let's be con artists. Let's have a singing troupe by the sea. I don't know. What? Oh, God, what a mess. Okay, the the last thing I want to talk about real quick is is the director, George Cukor. Now, when when we were um, picking movies, I was sort of sending out... um, you know, invites months ago. I, I, I'm not going to do that next time, but like had people pick their movies in advance. And so I asked Funderburg and Cribs from the pink smoke, what do you guys want to talk about? Here's, here's what's left. And they were like, Hey, let's just, um, we'll take whatever's left. The last movie that's left. And there were two movies left. And I said, okay, you guys do one. And then Kristen and I'll do the other one. And it was Land of the Pharaohs. And it was Sylvia Scarlet. And uh, Funderburg was like, absolutely not. I'm not talking about either either of those movies. And I was like, <laughs> what? Why not? He said, Land of the Pharaohs is, is boring, which I disagree. Land of the Pharaohs is is fine. Um, but he said, I hate George Cukor. And I was like, that's which is, again, fine, but weird like i've never heard anybody say like oh george cuker fuck that guy i hate his movies (laughs) so which is funny because we talk about a few cukers in this podcast this sylvia scarlet uh we're going to talk about a star is born at some point and there's one i think there's one more cuker we're going to talk about 
Um, so, you know, I've only seen Gaslight. I've seen this. I've seen uh, it could it should happen to you. And I'll be seeing you. Good Christmas movie. Um, but I, I I just wanted to get. Do I have is is there any other Cuker haters in on this episode right now? I just thought that was interesting. Chris was like, absolutely not. I'm not talking about that piece of shit. I actually talking love George Cuker movies. This yeah. movie was so disappointing to me because I am a huge fan. I love Dinner at Eight. I love His Little Women. I love Holiday. I love Philadelphia Story. How can you not love Philadelphia Story? Gaslight, Adam's Rib, Born Yesterday is one of my favorite comedies of the 50s. It's such a great career, and I haven't seen all of them, but I honestly can't say that any can be worse than this. And according to the reading that I did, this was his least favorite film. So yeah, I don't, th- I don't think he can get any worse than this in his own opinion. Yeah, Danny talks about how how bad this bombed critically and with audiences in the 30s and then in the 60s it got its kind of cult reputation which is why it's in the book and how George Cukor was like why why <laughs> this movie sucks um uh, Kristen are are you are you the world's biggest Cukor fan I've only seen Gaslight My Fair Lady and then we watched oh, The Model and the Marriage Broker oh, yeah. for our Thelma Ritter that's right. So, I'm. I mean, I'm fine with all of those movies. Yeah, yeah. My Fair Lady. I. I, I really like My Fair Lady. Um. Yeah. I. I just thought, you know, and this guy, he's he's got, uh, an extensive career, uh, with interesting movies, and you know what? They can't all be winners. No, they can't. Um, but boy, when he loses, he loses bad. Well, Sorry, I mean, just look at it this way. He was putting out three to four films a year between 1930 and 1935 when this came out. So that's back when they were just cranking out yeah. movies. So yeah, contract players just get it, you know, constantly working. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Philadelphia Story. I still haven't seen. I have the Blu-ray, um, but and the plastic is still on it. I've had it for like <laughs> two or three years. I don't know why I haven't watched it yet. Uh, is it? Christmas ish? No. Oh well, then what no. the fuck haven't I watched it? I don't know, man. So Philadelphia weird. Story. Okay, I'll give you this much. Philadelphia Story is an ensemble piece. That is what makes it fun. If you're afraid of Hepburn, don't be, because there's so many other characters <laughs> in it. Maybe you could say that it's proto Robert Altman, where there are enough characters in this movie that are all likable, unlike this thing everybody's likable so when yeah. you switch from one scene to the next of all these different people interacting with each other it's all a good time there's no shitty people in it so yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's it's a fun one like i love james stewart so i mean seriously like the plastic is still on this i got it at a barnes and noble sale listen to that, listen to that. yeah <laughs> sorry jeez. anyways um all right uh antonio final thoughts on sylvia scarlet Okay, man, I was fascinated by this movie. Did I like it? No, but it definitely was one that I wanted to do a lot more research on. And I mean, I sat outside today while my kids played in the kiddie pool and just went through my thoughts and went through my notes of like, okay, this is why this person is this way. And this why this person is this way. And when I get to my pairing recommendations, it made me feel more confident in my decision. I'm really just throwing stones, but- sure. 
it 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 really did stimulate my brain and if i really did hate this movie i wouldn't have let it stimulate my brain so i didn't yeah. like it but it fascinated me that's the way i just look at it that you know that's a great point i think there's there's no point uh in like just shitting on a movie like you know there, there are shows that that's their that's the whole point of their show and that's fine you do that show that's totally fine um when I watch a movie and I have this strong of a reaction to it, uh, I want to process what the hell uh, bothered me so much about it. And thankfully, I was able to do that on a podcast. So like I said at the top, um, I wasn't confident my mind was going to be changed about this movie by the end. And my mind was not changed. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it was great to be able to process those thoughts. Kristen, final thoughts on Sylvia Scarlet. Yeah, it's just a uh, kind of a weird one, but I think it's worth a watch. <laughs> yeah, I you know I I would never tell somebody don't watch this movie. I think you know watch watch this movie, and I would love to you know if if other people had strong reactions one way or the other, I would love to hear about why you reacted this way about this movie. So, um, all right, let's move on to the second portion of the program where Antonio, Chris, and I are going to offer up some pairing recommendations to each. And uh, this will be fascinating because what I did, I picked my pairing recommendations before I rewatched this movie. And I was like, spot on. Oh, nice. A, a lot of times that doesn't happen where I then have to just dip into movies that you know i have watched and be like okay i need to you know on a whim try to find something so um antonio let's start with you let's hear your first pairing recommendation with sylvia scarlet all right i'm gonna preface my first pairing recommendation with like i said how this movie made me feel and how i really thought by the end of it with all the crazy twists and turns and just randomness and happenstance that this movie presents that if this film was made Today, by Paul Thomas Anderson, people would call it a classic yeah. because it's just random enough to fit in his wheelhouse. So I thought of a movie that is oil and water. People either love it or hate it, and that's Licorice Pizza. Watch the best film of 2021 and be thankful there is still plenty of beauty in this world to go around. I'm at the girl I'm going to marry one day. Gross. Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza is now an Academy Award nominee for Best Original Screenplay. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand? No. Best Director. Action. And Best Picture of the Year. I'm cooler than you. Don't forget it. Licorice Pizza, now playing Rated R. I oh. honestly got the same vibe from this movie that I got the first time I watched Licorice Pizza, as in, why am I watching this? Do I like it? Do I hate it? And then on my second watch, I realized that Licorice Pizza is an absolute masterpiece that's practically about nothing. The, character, the characters aren't particularly likable, yet you want to follow them and see where they do end up. And it hit me in my stomach the same way that Licorice Pizza did. So I'm like, well, shit, that's my recommendation number one, is Licorice Pizza. Fascinating. Uh, a PTA that I, I still have yet to see. I usually come pretty late to PTA movies. Kristen, have you seen Licorice Pizza? I have not seen Licorice Pizza. Are you a, a PTA <laughs> fan? Yeah. 
yeah i'm not a i'm not a going hard but <laughs> i'm interested and in, i should have seen it by now i'll put yeah, it that way same <laughs> and it is looks like it's streaming on prime which is great um yeah I, you, and just to add to that really fast even though it's not my second recommendation the father dying pushing in the movie to the third act was very reminiscent of william h william h macy's character little bill killing himself at the new year's party in boogie nights huh. i felt that was kind of like a third act catalyst and i again kind of got that same vibe so i feel like he's seen this movie and i'm not saying he likes it but the daringness of it not to be a traditional narrative probably is, excites filmmakers like him and that's why i made those comparisons yeah i i mean now that um i guess the tell will be now that paul thomas anderson runs tcm we'll see if he programs sylvia scarlet <laughs> interesting um yeah i a huge pta fan um so i you know like i said haven't come to it yet but it, sh it should happen uh, this summer it seems like a good summer movie is it a good summer movie oh yeah it's hot and sweaty for sure oh good okay perfect um okay licorice pizza Kristen, on to you okay my i leaned into the grifter thing <laughs> Thought that's where this movie was going um it's so because i wish it went there throughout its runtime um my first pick is kajillionaire from 2020 after this person and clear now there's a camera there there and there Cash. Nope, mini order. This is not a cheap tie. Most people want to be cajillionaires. That's the dream. That's how they get you hooked. Hooked on sugar, hooked on caffeine. Ha ha ha, cry, cry, cry. Me, I prefer to just skip. So do I. February, March, April. Uh, we may have to pay an installment. Rent is an installment. It's a monthly installment. They are real characters, super unique. But you vouch for them, right? She learned to forge before she learned to write. Oh, actually, that's how she did learn to write. My favorite movies are the Ocean Eleven movies. This is exactly the kind of thing that I've been wanting. So what do your parents do, hon? Hon, you've never called me that. But you could if it was a job, though, right? addicted to them they're my parents in what sense we split everything three ways we have since i was little i don't want to do it that way this time don't so you want us to be false faking people we don't make pancakes or wrap up little birthday presents or call you sweetheart or baby do a little dance. I always thought it was insulting to treat you like a child. And I thought we agreed on that. We can only ever be how we are. This is the way the big one starts. If you're lucky, you'll get crushed. And then you'll, you just die right then and there. Directed by Miranda July, which has this, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's got its quirky comedy drama 
Miranda July situation going on. It's about a a, a grifter family, um, and it's it's unpredictable in the way like you you know you don't know where the story is going it's like a new a new story i guess um which is kind of <laughs> what i liked about sylvia scarlet i was like this could go anywhere <laughs> and um, it does go everywhere <laughs> it's true um so yeah i mean this is about like a con family evan rachel wood is the daughter and deborah winger and uh uh richard jenkins are her oh parents my God. fascinating yeah love it love that's a great richard movie jenkins. great movie um and then they they like meet someone else and like bring them into the the their situation and it's like how that affects their relationships anyway uh yeah i think this will be a great pairing with sylvia scarlet sweet so yeah antonio you're a fan huge fan and yeah like like this one most of the characters in the movie are pieces of shit with zero redemption <laughs> the difference is, is that the re- the redemption in the movie is worthwhile because everyone else is such a big piece of shit so interesting yeah this is uh uh i'm ashamed to say i've never even heard of this movie so uh on the watch list very cool Cajillionaire from Miranda July sounds from is she just a filmmaker or is she a comedian? Uh, well, she's kind of just like an artsy all around artsy person. I uh learned of her in like the late 90s from her. She just did like audio recordings, but it was just like it was kind of like <laughs> it seemed like it was coming off the top of her head i don't know if it was written ahead of time but she would like perform as different characters it's kind of undescribable (laughs) but my friends and i listen to those cds a lot and there's weird like weird like quotes stuck in my head from that time and then she made uh me and you and everyone we know was her first like feature movie and then she did the future and this one i think those are her three like directed features yeah feature length movies sweet okay well i'm gonna have to check out her stuff um all right my first one i'm not going with a new movie it's a modern movie but it's not a new movie newer movie um this is from 1987 the this is one that um I wasn't going to watch because I already had my pairing sort of lined up. And then I I was like, you know what? I have time. I want to watch this because I like Martin Short and I like Annette O'Toole. And it turns out like after rewatching Sylvia Scarlet, it's a perfect pairing because Martin Short is like a gigantic piece of shit in this movie. And you're like, why would you end up, you know, it's, it's sort of like, why would Michael Fain end up with this woman who was con? It's a, you know, sort of a weird ending. Anyways, this is a movie called Cross My Heart. I met her a couple of weeks ago. The first time we went out, I thought, maybe, maybe. And then the second time we went out, I thought to myself, yes. Yeah. Now I'm wondering, could a woman this good ever really fall for a guy like me? I met him 17 days ago, and he's... He's so funny. He makes me laugh. 
Oh, he's the kind of guy a woman could fall in love with. All right, maybe I've already fallen, I don't know. Tonight's our third date, the all-important third date. Great! She told me she thinks I'm great. What if she finds out the truth? You meet some guy, you think he's great. So you end up going to bed with some fantasy you made up. Then you wake up in the morning with someone you don't even know. Which I have promised myself I am never doing again. 1987, directed by Armion uh, uh, Bernstein. Stars Martin Short, Ned O'Toole. And it's it's basically like a one crazy night sort of movie. Uh, it opens with both of them sort of getting ready for a date. Martin Short has just lost his job and he's uh, he's getting ready and he's talking to his pal played by Paul Reiser, who I love. Um, and Onette O'Toole is getting ready in her place and she's talking to her friend Joanna Kearns, who I also love. Um, Annette O'Toole has a daughter who is, you know, five or six years old, single mom, and uh, this is, they're getting prepared for the third date, the big third date. What's going to happen on the third date? Well, Martin Short has just lost his job, and the date was supposed to celebrate a promotion. Well, he got called in, and instead of being promoted, he lost his job. And, um, and so Paul Reiser's trying to, you know, pump him up and make him happy. He's like, borrow my car. You mean your brand new car? Yes. Borrow it. Yes. Go. Yes. Take it. And he's like, Oh God, this apartment. Like, what if, you know, we, we get to that place where like, I bring her back here. And he's like, uh, take her to my apartment. You know, your new expensive apartment. Yes. Just okay. Yes. Take her to my apartment. And so like, He's reluctant about the whole thing. Paul Reiser is. So anyways, they go on the date and nobody shares anything truthful. Uh, they're celebrating the promotion that didn't really happen. She doesn't uh, talk about the fact that she has a daughter. And so they go back, they have sex and like it's it's super awkward and funny and, you know, very charming. But then like when stuff starts getting revealed, you're like, this guy's a fucking prick it which is interesting because i've never seen martin short play such an asshole and he's still what about clifford no like this like this guy's a an, an asshole clifford is you know he doesn't know he's any a better. 10 year old boy he doesn't know any better uh, he's also an asshole yeah he's a he's a kid asshole like this is this is a, a martin short who knows like a grown-up who knows better anyways <laughs> and so um i don't want to say how it ends um but it is still very funny like i said martin short is hysterical annette o'toole is so charming i love 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 annette o'toole and uh you know it goes to some you know it's sort of a kitchen a kitchen sink movie it goes to places where you're like I did not see that coming. Okay, I guess we're going here. We're going to go. Let's let's do this. Okay. Um, so it's really interesting. I think there's a Kino Blu-ray. You can also watch it on YouTube. Um, but I, I do recommend it if you, you know, if if you like Martin Short. And it's not like, you know, crazy Clifford Martin Short. It's, you know, 
kind of <laughs> you know straight ahead Martin Short, and he's he's actually doing some acting, and um, <laughs> he wears a banana hammock, and it's very very funny. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's crossed my heart. Let's go back to you, Antonio. Um, so I did go the grifter route, and I was split between the two, and I'm gonna go with the one that as I was watching this. It was a film that I wanted to just go back and actually watch. And that pairing is Paper Moon. Kansas, 1936. Uh Out of the darkest days of the Depression comes the adventures of two unlikely con artists. Don't you go making the decisions. I make the decisions. All you got to do is look like a pretty little girl. We ain't gonna make it. I'm gonna hit him! Don't slow down! Don't miss this one from the maker of The Last Picture Show and What's Up Doc. You won't be sorry. Hang on! Paper Moon, a Paramount release rated PG. I think there's something really kind of uh, cute and innocent about Paper Moon and the fact that it is about con men, con children back in that <laughs> that era. But the way Bogdanovich makes it, it is very charming and not too syrupy, not too sweet. And there's plenty of drama and there's plenty of things that happen that just keep you involved with that. Um, Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill, you know, playing essentially father and daughter, uh, going around selling Bibles. And just, you know, using these cons, quick cons throughout the, the Depression era, United States. I felt like Kristen said, this was the direction this was going to go, where this was going to be a family unit all of a sudden, you know, like, okay, they are going to try and rob this, or burglar, not rob, this house. And now they're going to create this new little venture and try and get away from it and become a family. But when we go back and we talk about like the narcissism and like I'd say the loss of empathy and emotion for other people, it really kind of just destroys it. And to see a film that would make me feel better about that kind of story about a family unit in this weird dynamic of conning people, Paper Moon is just that movie for me. So mm. I pair it with that because if you're watching Sylvia Scarlet, Paper Moon is like the palate cleanser of like, okay, this is something that I want to watch that A, it's great, and the performances are great, and there is that kind of family dynamic of con people that I'm hoping this movie does, but doesn't do. It's the kind of movie I want to watch. It's the kind of movie I wanted Sylvia Scarlet to be. Hmm. Very cool. I, this and is a takes- Bogdanovich oh. I have not seen yet. Uh, and it takes place in the 30s, so takes place it could have been the movie. <laughs> It honestly could have been in the states are you a fan of this movie Kristen? yeah it's great um this was gonna be my second pairing so yeah (laughs) nice so do you have to call an audible yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna pivot oh yes i love a pivot yeah i I brought a third just in case that happened (laughs) yeah i uh there's a few bogdanoviches that i still need to see and this is this is one of the big ones for some reason i haven't seen it yeah it's a good one i'm a huge bogdanovich fan and i love i mean god bless it that o'neill family bunch of charmers they are 
love love watching them. So, uh, good deal, Paper Moon. Kristen, what are you gonna do now? Okay, this might be weird, but I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna pair Sylvia Scarlet with Bound from 1996, <laughs> directed by I, the Wachowskis. I dig it. I see what I've been waiting for, but I can't do it alone. Desire is not enough. I need you. You've never needed me. Money is not enough. How much money? It's over $2 million. Revenge is not enough. When you open the door, I'll be there. Who was that? Who's over there? Some women. What did she do to you? Everything you could. Want it all. Bound. There's no turning back. Now playing at a theater near you. <laughs> um, I don't remember. I think this is probably more of a crime movie, but for some reason in my memory, it was like, it's also a con movie. I, I can't say for sure, but it also, it has like this, you know, it has a queer bent on the crime movie maybe in a similar way that I'm like reaching that, um, <laughs> you know, Catherine Hepburn's uh, wearing boys clothes. I don't know. Uh, yes. Yeah, so this is about uh, Jennifer Tilly, um, who's the girlfriend of a mobster um, meets uh, Gina Gershon, who's like, I don't know, working on an apartment next door and they like start a relationship and then uh, make plans to, uh, I think Gina Gershon's going to help Jennifer Tilly get away from the mob um, and they're like also going to rob uh, her boyfriend who's Joe oh, Pant. Joey Pants. What's his name? Yeah. Joey, Joey Pants. <laughs> Joey, Joey Pants. Yeah, Pantoliano, that's it. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a great movie. Watch it with Sylvia Scarlet. <laughs> you know what? I he, would. He, here's the deal. You watch anything with Sylvia Scarlet just to get rid of that movie out of your head. Uh, okay. Excellent point. So I haven't seen Bound, but I'm going to see Bound, which is playing at a uh, local rep theater. They're playing on 35 next week. Cool. All week long, they're doing like a, a queer series. So this and this is part of it. So uh, I'm super excited now to be able to see this. Um, to to be like, you know what, this would pair perfectly with <laughs> Sylvia Scarlet. You're gonna be that guy in the lobby. Everyone's like, what is he talking about? <laughs> um. Okay, I got two here that. You know, Antonio, you and I have already talked about one of these spoilers. Mm -hmm. um, but I got to because it's so damn good. Um, and I had mentioned it during, Kristen, our Paul Apprentice episode. Oh, uh, yes. It's 1964's My Favorite Sport, question mark, directed by Howard Hawks. Rock Hudson stars in Man's Favorite Sport. Now then, Major Phipps, what were we talking about? What kind of fish I should go after up at the lake? Ah, uh, yes. Well, I suggest you go for trout. Trout? Mm -hmm. About 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning would be your best time. Water should be around 68 degrees. 68 degrees. Mm -hmm. What kind of a lure and how deep? Just under the surface. And use either a Colorado spinner or a super duper. Amazing. Willoughby, this is your lucky day. It is? Absolutely. You are entering the fishing tournament at Lake Wakapuji. Oh, horse feather. <laughs> 
Oh, You've never really been fishing never. in your whole life. Now you just yank that back as hard as you can, but before you do that... Meet Roger Willoughby. Roger is a renowned author on the sport of fishing. He's also a man who can't fish, can't stand the outdoors, and can't stay out of trouble. Would you please like to kiss me? Turn it off! Oh, good morning, everyone. Roger, look behind you! I will in a minute. Roger, you don't. Would you please look where you're going? Oh, you just make me mad. Uh, Willoughby, this is your lucky day. Howard Hawks' classic romantic comedy, Man's Favorite Sport. Stars Rock Hudson and Paula Prentice. And it is, this was one of my discoveries of last year, and I talked about it on uh, Antonio's show. And Rock Hudson works at this sporting goods store, and he has written this sort of like um, how to manual about fishing and like guaranteed. Uh, that you're going to be able to catch the best fish and the most fish and all this stuff in this manual. And so he's like, you know, he's well known in, in the outdoor sporting world. And he has been invited to this fishing, like this huge fishing competition. Um, and where he's going to be sort of like the guest of honor and, um, and who is, it? uh, gosh, I haven't watched this since then. Um, one day he crossed pesos. Oh yeah. Um, so Paula Prentice plays this girl who, who sort of convinces she's, is she like a publicist or something convinces rock Hudson to go to this thing. And so he goes up there and like, he tries to hide the fact that he doesn't know shit about fishing. Uh, but of course he's like, everybody knows this guy. And so he's trying to hide the fact and, and so he develops this relationship with Paula Prentice and uh, like this is Rock Hudson and Paula Prentice are almost always charming. Uh, but I dare say this might be one of their most charming movies, N not together, just just individually. Like it is so great. It's so funny. There's a great uh, towards the end of the movie where all is revealed and there's sort of stuck sleeping together in this tent and then the the valley or whatever floods and now they're floating in their tent um and like looking for help uh it's very funny it's very charming um again like like george cuker howard hawks is sort of like an everyman sort of director where he could do it all i, I think hawks could do even more than than i think cuker could do uh, especially with like the action and the westerns and stuff, but this is—it's an interesting like. Speaking of of um, Land of the Pharaohs, a Howard Hawks movie, it's like this guy fucking directed anything and everything, and this is a super super duper charming romantic comedy, starring like two very good looking people, two very charming people at the top of their games. Um, so Antonio, did, had you seen this before or did you watch it since? No, this is the one movie that was on your list that I didn't have time to watch. That's I haven't no. actually watched it. 
like you and I each had one that we hadn't watched. Yes, I think yes, yes. you hadn't, I can't remember which one you hadn't watched. You hadn't watched the chase cause you watched the wrong chase or you started the wrong chase. Oh yeah, that's right. And then, and I hadn't watched this one, but I'm fascinated by it a hundred percent. Um, it, it's funny cause like I've, you heard that all of films is going out of business, yes. right? So recently they did this huge purge on uh, deepdiscount.com and I bought tons of Olive films and there was one that I was really looking for that they had out and it was this one and I couldn't find it. It was oh, no interesting. Available. Wow. But I had it on my list of if I see it, I'm buying. It. So it's still on my list of films that I definitely want to own from nice. your recommendation. So. Yeah. It looks like Kino sort of picking up um, films that, that Olive has you know, lost, lost the rights to. And so Kino sort of reissuing those movies. So hopefully man's favorite sport question mark. will will get another release. Kristen, did you, have you seen man's favorite sport? No, I didn't want, it's just been in my watch list. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, Antonio, give your two titles again real quick. So my two titles were licorice pizza by Paul Thomas Anderson and Paper Moon, directed by Bogdanovich, starring Ryan and Tatum O'Neill. And Kristen, you're two. Kajillionaire and Bound. And I did Cross My Heart from 1987 and Man's Favorite Sport from 1964. That's all she wrote, folks. Antonio, this was a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to get you back, and we'll do it proper. You get to pick your own movie. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but I hope you enjoyed your time, uh, this time around. Oh, always. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I've been wanting to be on your show for a long time because you and I talked about this when we did Messiah of evil and you just talked about it earlier where there are a lot of podcasts that you can literally just talk shit about movies all day long. And people do that. And if that's your game, great. People want to listen to that. Great. Just like you. And we talked about this on that episode is, I am sometimes more fascinated and interested in a movie that challenges me than I am a movie that I love right from the moment I watch it. Yeah. And that's what Messiah of evil was for you. And yeah, for sure. Look, you rewatched it. We talked about my show and you're like, this might be one of my favorite horror movies. I'm not going to say that Sylvia Scarlet is that for me, but <laughs> I dove into Sylvia Scarlet more than I've dug into any film I've watched like in the last few months. <laughs> Well, good. Sylvia Scarlet might be one of my favorite horror movies, too. <laughs> uh, Antonio, where can people find you and your shows online? Anywhere where you look for podcasts, uh, except for Stitcher, of course. Yeah, that's going that's... away too very soon. Um, but I like it when people find me on Apple and write and review on Apple because I get to read your your comments. It's great. But the links to all my shows and then all of the people who've been on my show, like Anthony, Go to thecultworthy.com and you can read my reviews, you can listen to my shows, and you can see my cultworthy partners like yourself. Sweet, thecultworthy.com. Kristen, hit them with the plugs. I'm still on Twitter, I guess, at snail with an E on the end. S-N-A-I-L-E. We're going down with the ship. We're going down. <laughs> um, yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> Check out Clapperboard Cuties on Instagram for archival images of boys and girls holding slates um from industrial outtakes mostly and some hollywood films i don't know just go see it then if go you like it. it yeah it's fun <laughs> it. yeah we love it we love it we love them clapperboard cuties 
Uh, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Cool Movies Pod. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at AK Donnelly. That's A K D O N E two L's Y. And patreon.com backslash Cult Movies Podcast. And uh, what else? Fthismovie.com. Uh, Blu ray reviews. Blu ray reviews. Blu ray reviews. My mm. column every Friday. Film diary there. And I think that's all we got. Antonio, thanks a lot. Thank you again for having me. <laughs> <laughs>